Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Folks, we have got a pretty action-packed episode for you this week. We've got a lot to talk about. The Ducks played tonight, so it's also a post-game edition. We're going to talk about the game that we all just watched, the Ducks beating the Colorado Avalanche 3-1 to on home ice. So, a lot to get into, Jake. I hope, you've, I hope you're hydrated. I hope that you're Everything they need to do to be prepared because th- there's a lot here. I, I've got my water bottle here. I'm ready to go. I was over three on my predictions. Our uh, our good friend, good uh, good friend of the podcast, uh, patron uh, that guy Bobski is having a little prediction challenge for me in our Discord chat um, of okay. predicting the score, who's gonna win, and one other thing. And however many I get right is how many gifted subs he's gonna give out that night. So. That's kind of wow. where we're going with this, and uh, I was over three. It, I said it was going to be three to two on uh, for the Avalanche as the final score, and uh, his question was whether the Ducks would score on the power play, and I said yes. So, over three for me tonight on that. So, not a great start for me, but you know, you gotta you gotta go along. The Ducks ended up getting the win. It's gonna be a good, fun podcast to talk about that. A little bit of a throwback, throwback to what we were used to doing way back when. Yeah, Jake getting punished for being uh, negative on the Ducks. Love to see that. You know, you know, it came back to get me. It came back to bite me. Could have the show could have benefited from gifted subs. The people out there could have benefited, but you know, I didn't get it right. So there we go. But I should Your should fault. give a shout out to Varluna who uh, resubbed uh, at tier one for the twenty fifth month uh, and added a comment that was a game. And so thank you so much, Varluna, for tuning in. I know you've been listening to us. We've met up a bunch of times, so thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Well, do you want to just jump right in here? Let, let's let's cut to the chase. So the it. Ducks the Ducks take this one 3-1 to one against the Avalanche, and this was after the Ducks had, had I would say, a, a pretty decent performance, once again losing in three-on-three overtime on Friday to the, to the same Avalanche, and that one was coming off of a back-to-back for the Avs. And so tonight, the Avalanche, with a, with a day of rest, um, were clearly a different beast because in the first period, um, they kind of just, they were controlling the game pretty much from, from start to finish in, in the first period. Um, the shot attempts there were 22-13 to 13 at 5-on-5, five five, scoring chances 12-6. to six. The Ducks getting a, a tiny edge and high-danger chances, but... It actually didn't matter that the Avs were controlling so well because the Ducks would have the lead coming out of that period thanks to Jakob Silberg's early tally. He would score in the first minute of the game, 58 seconds in, um, a nice shot from him. And so kind of a kind of a, a period that was all over the place, but ultimately the Ducks came out on top of it. Yeah, I mean, it started off well for the Ducks. I actually thought that they came out of the gates looking like the better team and that's an issue that we'll probably get into when we get in some of the other games, but the ducks had struggled so far this season with their starts and right away they got some good looks. They had two shots on goal to start and then that was it for a long time. The Silverberg goal happened and then it kind of went flat from there and the avalanche really had a, a really big flurry of chances kind of right afterwards, kind of in the first uh, five, 10 minutes of the game. And then they also kind of, the, the ducks did a pretty good job of limiting their chances from then on. But the one thing that was noticeable in that first period basically right away was the amount of chances that McKinnon was getting. There was one shift where he ended up hitting the post where he just basically shrugged off Derek Grant and was able to get himself a glorious chance and ends up hitting the post. And uh, I think there was another post in that period that was hit. But this was the the first moment when I fully realized that we were going to be getting the Derek Grant versus Nathan McKinnon matchup in this game. Oh, yeah. Dallas Eakins wanting that matchup. And oh, boy. 
we'll have things to say about that. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that topic. There's there's a, too many other things to discuss first, though. So the Ducks come out of that period up one nothing, and also one thing I should mention is that the Avalanche were just <clears throat> they were just painting the posts tonight. A lot of opportunities where they managed to get open looks or a shot goes through traffic, and it just I mean, Kale McCarr rang one off the crossbar, so. A little bit of luck never hurts anybody. Well, I guess if you're the Ducks in this case, it didn't hurt. But um, that's something that we should mention as well. And I would say that in the first period, the Ducks were really, after that initial uh, tally by Silverberg, they really, I mean, the Avalanche just completely took over. But things did stabilize just a bit as the period ended. It wasn't kind of it, it wasn't one of those first periods that we've seen in other games where they just get completely blasted the entire way through um despite those ugly numbers when you look more at you know the shot quality element of this the ducks were still outplayed but it wasn't it wasn't quite as dominant or quite as destructive as we've seen in other games and this is a very low bar um i do want to point that out this was still not a good first period for the ducks by any means um when you're looking at just kind of the the underlying the way that they were playing not just the scoreboard um so that's something to keep a note of that maybe there is a little improvement just a teeny bit of improvement going on there and now up on the screen actually is the expected goals in all situations per money puck and so you can see kind of at the beginning of that period the ducks had the little bit of a burst at the beginning then the avalanche had this really big flurry and that kind of flattened out from there the ducks had a couple good chances uh later on in the first period uh two of them specifically that really helped out kind of get their chances up a little bit higher this one came from uh jacob silverberg shot um, there was a really good look near the end of the first period. And so they they did a good job of keeping the avalanche to the outside. They did. And that is something that we'll get into about. I think that that was a large part of their game plan was just, and it's not the worst game plan either. Just, you know that they're the better team. You know that they have more skill. You know that they're so elite offensively. There are just things that you might have to be willing to, to give up and that seems to be what they were willing to give up is just puck possession on the outside. I still don't think it's a strategy that you can win with in the long term, but in a, in a game like this, you, you got to do whatever you can against such a good offensive team. Now, in the second period, things would start to look a lot better for the Ducks when you're looking at the the run of play. So in that period, as opposed to being you know completely annihilated from a shot attempt perspective, um, they still didn't lead in that category, but only edged out by one shot attempt by the avalanche at at five on five so you could say that that's an improvement yeah i I think a a slight improvement for them yeah it was and then i think that in the in the rest of that period you know we saw that the ducks still there were still some tendencies there that they're gonna have to work on but the game the game felt like it slowed down a little bit and particularly they actually managed to win the um, the scoring chance battle seven to four, and from high danger locations, actually get, had the edge three to one. So, kind of just mucking it up. It wasn't pretty by any means, but this is kind of I think going to be the blueprint for this team because right now they're not really teaming with offensive talent. So they're going to have to win in ways that are just well, especially when they're playing really good teams, contenders. They're just going to have to win in ways that aren't necessarily the prettiest. Yeah, and I think. The, the slightly frustrating thing on that is that I think if you look at some maybe like the, the game prior to this one where the, the Ducks, uh, 
I think the Ducks played their best game and they were actually on the front foot. If the Ducks actually decide to play that way, they can actually hang with teams and generate chances. And, and mm-hmm. it's frustrating to see them kind of sit back into this. And I get Default. I, I get the logic behind it here, but it, it's just, it, it's so beyond well, the, frustrating. The avalanche, yeah, the avalanche are also just better tonight, I think. Yes. I think Which, the first, yes. you know, yeah, I, I think the fact yeah. that they weren't on the back and the back backs really plays a big part. But I, I think that it, it's just frustrating to see them default to that. We saw this happen against Vegas in the the second game uh, of that series, and it seemed like this was kind of a repeat. And it seems like that that's kind of what we're in for a bit with the Ducks of when they end up getting the lead, they decide to just kind of sit on it. And I think that's somewhat frustrating for me as a fan to to watch that type of hockey. I guess from my pure entertainment standpoint, I would rather see them push for that next goal. Well, from an entertainment perspective, I think that you were definitely well served in that second because Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel yes. with a connection that was just highlight reel worthy. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff doing what he does best, finding his teammates before they're even really open. And, and you saw that synergy between Raquel because it was kind of a give and go. He started seeing gets laughed they were kind of making that eye contact and so he starts bolting towards an open spot or open space in the slot and gets laughed times his pass perfectly to where the puck arrives in that area right as Ricard Raquel gets there so some good communication between those two but also just the skill level to execute that by gets was phenomenal I mean that's that is his bread and butter butter and then Ricard Raquel with a nice finish as well his first goal of the season. So I think that one thing to really key in on here through two periods, that would be the only goal scored in the period is that you have Silverberg picking up his first goal of the year and Ricard Raquel in two consecutive periods. So that's, that's an encouraging sign for the ducks because they can play better all they want. They can, you know, they they can improve marginally here and there, but if their best players are not producing and are not really having the kind of process that's going to lead to long-term results, then it doesn't really matter. And so I think that that's a really encouraging sign as well for the Ducks that Silverberg and Raquel were, I mean, they were by far some of the Ducks' best players tonight. Yes, definitely. And I think that it's good to see Ricard Raquel get off the uh, scoring or basically scores first goal of the season. Um, obviously, Ryan Getzoff's pass really has a big part in that. And it's awesome to to see that type of pass come from Getzoff. It's something that he's kind of built his game off uh, throughout all the years. And he still has that, still has that vision. And Ricard Raquel, he's been solid for the Ducks this year. He's been able to generate chances for himself and hasn't necessarily been able to, to put them in the back of the net. So it's good to be able to see that happen. Real quick, also want to jump in and say big shout out to uh, Literic Al. Sorry, I want to jump in with some Twitch stuff, but uh, Literic Al resubs for 28 months. And then we also had this is the big one, Shoegaze Dragon uh, Georgie subbed at tier one. They've subbed for 29 or 23 months and on a nine month streak. And then also gave out five tier one subs, gifted five of them out. Olaf the Berserker also subbed. And then we also had Halo Ducks uh, gifted out five tiers, uh, five tier one subs. So a lot of love going around. Science Cat now just Thanks. gifted out five tier one subs. So a lot of gifted subs going all around right now. Thank you to everyone for doing that. Needed to give that a shout out. Absolutely. And, you know, people are in a good mood when the Ducks win, when yes. the Ducks do good things, as yes. it turns out, uh, yes. which is not... We didn't have much of a positive vibe to go off of last week with... Uh, the way that things started for Anaheim and Vegas. So I'm, I'm glad that we have this win to talk about here. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, any other notes you had on the, on the second period before we jump into the third? Um, 
Not really any big ones. I actually think that this was, I think this was the better period or potentially the best period for the Ducks. I I think the thing that we saw the most here was on the power play. I think they actually were able to get some of their better chances. Um, I believe they had one or two uh, power plays and they were able to get those also off of some extended zone time. So even though they were getting outshot in this period, the, the good thing for the Ducks in this period that they were able to get some life in them and they were able to get some really high quality chances. And this is kind of that type of game. I, I know this is going way back when, but one of the calling cards of people that defended Randy Carlisle was that even though they get outshot, they would get high quality looks as uh, when they would get their shots. And so um, I think that that's kind of what we saw in this game and in this period specifically was that even though the Ducks did get outshot, they did a good job of making sure those looks counted and made sure to get some high quality looks in the process. And I think that even though you'd like to get more shots, push a little bit more, we should give them credit that they were getting good quality looks against that Colorado Avalanche. And basically they were able to score them and they took advantage of that. And that's that's what we've been asking for for this Ducks team is to be able to get chances and put the, because you'll put them in the back of the net. And mm-hmm. they were able to do that, and they were able to score. Yeah, and so moving on into the third period here, you know, John Gibson had to be very good in this game, even with when you consider some of the luck element and the posts that were definitely coming through for him and for the team as a whole. He was still so good, and, you know, particularly, I mean, this was after the after the avalanche would tie or would would get on the board and come within one with Miko Ranton and just kind of left all alone in front of the net to get to collect a rebound and pot it on his backhand um, you would see John Gibson make an incredible save going post to post on Nathan McKinnon now looking at the replay you can actually see that Yanni Hockenpah tipped it so not only did he have to contend with a one-timer from one of the best players I mean, maybe one of the three best players in the world, but also his own defenseman redirected it on its way into the net. So just a very impressive, acrobatic, athletic, but also technically sound save by John Gibson. And this is something that we'll get into as we talk about the other games that happened this week, but he is just a man on fire right now. Yeah, he he is just playing some of his best hockey. I, I made note of this uh, on Twitter after the game, but he is the MVP of the Ducks right now. Um, he there, there's yes. really no other way to put it. Um, without him, the Ducks would it's, not it's be. It's not the it's not the shutdown line. You're not oh, giving it to the shutdown oh. line. We'll get into that in a bit. But <laughs> I I I've, I was actually putting together my my weekly ratings today, which everyone will go out tomorrow. And I am rating um, the reverse retro jerseys as part of that. But John oh, Gibson, nice. I think, is fourth in the league right now in GSAX. Um, and part of that, I think, is due to the fact that he had a subpar first game. So if you were to take out that first game, he's been insane for this Ducks team and is basically the only reason they're in these games. And yes, the Ducks, like I said, they played well. They took their chances. They got them. But the reason why they're in that position at all to have this lead is... Uh, is is John Gibson. And so I want to just give him, I mean, he deserves basically the MVP if you were to have an early season MVP right now. And if someone in the NHL covering it on the whole is not basically talking about him, that's because they're not paying attention. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, the narrative that we saw developing after last year that John Gibson is, that he's not that good, that he doesn't work on his craft, all these things that we've heard, <laughs> um, it's clearly bogus because he had one down year after a couple of years of having to be a complete workhorse 
and he struggled on a bad team. So it's not as if, you know, he was really sinking his team anyway. All this to say that that never made sense, and he very much looks like he's back to the goalie that we knew couple years ago. And I, I mean, this is what we talked about during the off season, but he was one of those guys who could really benefit from that extended off season, just because of how his body, there's just been so much wear and tear with the injuries, with the high usage. And I think that right now he's just flourishing. Um, now, of course you do want to see the ducks go to Miller as often as they possibly can, because as well as Gibson is playing, this is, this schedule is so compact and you still have to manage minutes. And I'm sure that they're aware of that. I mean, you saw Ryan Miller play this week, but he's been very good. And in that period, the Ducks predictably were a bit on their heels and, you know, the Avalanche were pressing to tie the game up. And, you know, the things didn't necessarily go the Ducks way in terms of the overall play. I mean, shot attempts were 15 to six at five on five. Um, Scoring chances were eight to three. But the Ducks managed to get the empty netter right as the Avalanche. You felt like the Avalanche were really coming on. Uh, Hampus Lindholm just sends one across the, across all the way down the rink into the empty net. The Ducks get up 3-1, and that would pretty much ice it. So overall, I think it's a, it's a feel-good win for the Ducks against a very strong opponent. Yes, it 100% is. And I think that one thing that I noticed was, for the most part, obviously, the Ducks were sitting back. They were trying to clog up the neutral zone, do all that type of stuff. But the Getzloff line, when they were out there, they were still pushing the play. And that's something that was really nice to see. And to be honest, I'm really happy with how that line, specifically with uh, specifically Getzloff and Raquel, you can throw whether it was Sonny Milano, whether it's uh, Max Jones on that Max wing. Jones. <laughs> um, it, it really doesn't matter. That line has had success. And Getzloff and Raquel, when looking at the numbers, really were successful once been once they were put back together. And even though they weren't able to generate a bunch of goals in the past week, they were really successful. And that basically happened tonight also. 0.35 expected goals, 4.19 against. So they were better offensively than the rest of the lines. Uh, or sorry, they weren't the best offensive line, but they were the best uh, defensive line on the whole for the Ducks tonight. And that's something that they've kind of done. And so it's nice to be able to uh, have them push the play and be able to not just sit back and defend. Yeah, so let's um, let's highlight some good individual performances or just overall positives before we get into some some of the critiques because there are still, of course, it's Ooh. us. Oh, there's there's, there's going to be some things to point be, out. There's going to be some uh, some stats so taken. But you you already you already talked about Getzloff and Raquel, and I think that that's a great place to 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 point to because, like you said, regardless of whether it's been Max Jones or Sonny Milano. They've been good. Now, I do think that their ceiling as a line is a bit capped when it's not Sonny Milano as a, and when it's Max Jones in there. How have you, how have you, what have you seen in Max Jones' game uh, so far? I mean, we haven't really seen much of him, but in the, in the short time that he's been up. Yeah, I, I think the one thing for, for Max Jones that he's done so well is that he's kept it simple. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that, that he's done well and what he's yeah. contributed to this line well is when they've had success in the offensive zone, it's because Max Jones is the first one in, and he understands that his uh, ability to get into the the get on the forecheck is basically what he brings to that line. I mean, Ricard Raquel, uh, Ryan Getzloff, they're the skilled players. Max Jones doesn't necessarily have the talent and the skill that uh, those two have, even though he was a first round pick and was highly touted. He needs to go in there. He needs to get in on the forecheck and he needs to basically use his body to get the puck. That's his job on that line. And that's what he needs to do. And so it's, it's really important for him to do that. And he did that well. 
And, and I think that mm-hmm. that's the element that he brings to that line. Well, and that, that's mm-hmm. so good. And I think that I think it was the last game against the Avalanche. He was able to get in on the forecheck and basically I think he set up a goal because of uh, getting in and basically disrupting the play. Well, he actually is the example when you hear Dallas Aikens talk about players that have structure, quote unquote structure, because he's a guy who comes in and just kind of keeps the chains moving. He's not really, he's not a guy who maybe elevates the ceiling of the line. He's not going to come in and generate a ton of individual offense, but just generally seems to know where to be, understands the system. And I'm assuming that once Sonny Milano is healthy again, which we'll get into, uh, that he'll be back on that line, but for now they're they're getting by. And I mean, with Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel looking as good as they are, it might just not totally matter who's on that wing. Another performance that I think deserves some pointing out. I th- I think that tonight and also just the last couple of games, Danson Heinen has looked solid next to Adam Henrique and and Jakob Silverberg. You know, nothing necessarily flashy, but I think that. He's been good overall. Maybe you disagree on that. No, I I think he's been good, especially once they made that switch. I think that something just looked off when it was uh when it was Raquel Henrique Silverberg, and then uh what would it have been? It would have been Milano slash Lundestrom Getzloff and Heinen. And for whatever reason, even though Dallas Aiken said Heinen looked really good in camp next to uh, Getzloff, once the puck dropped on the season, I didn't see it. Didn't make sense. Didn't look good to me. And it, well, not I, ne- I disagree with that. Okay. I disagree with that. I think, I think that, that he, those two look good. It's just I, that there was a black hole on the other wing, and well, that's I, kind of an issue. I think he's just looked a lot more comfortable next to Henrique and next to Silverberg. And I think that my my big issue is that line should be used more in a, in a defensive role than they've been given, uh, given so far. That's basically the best defensive line for the Ducks team. And if you're looking for a line to match up against a top line of another team like a Nathan McKinnon, they sh- the Ducks should be looking at using that line. Jack Silverberg, everyone knows about his defensive chops. Danton Heinen, that's also what he does well. You look at uh, his RAPM charts from Evolving Hockey, what he's good at is suppressing shots and uh, suppressing uh, chances against. And so Heinen's been good since they made that shift. That line on the whole... Yeah is able to uh, has been good since they made that shift. So awesome to see well, there. It, and it, I- make, it, it makes sense because their styles kind of line up a little better. They're more North-South players. You know, Ricard Raquel to me is a guy who he can play that North-South style, but I think he's better suited when he's playing with somebody who's going to find him as he's probing for that open ice, as he's looking to get his chances. And I'm not saying that he's cheating the game or anything like that, but He's a guy who's not necessarily going to be quite as involved defensively. He's looking to get on the rush. And with Getzlaff, that's a guy who's going to find him every single time. You know, you don't really have any natural playmakers on that line with Henrik and Silverberg. You know, Henrik can pass some, but he's that's not really the strength of his game. And Silverberg, I mean, you want to talk about a north-south player. That's what he is. So mm-hmm. I think that you put those three together, Heinen, Henrik, Silverberg, that the HHS line, HSH, I don't know. Um, it works. And yeah, the, their role moving forward is going to be interesting. I still think Dallas Aiken seems to view them as his, as an offensive line. Um, and that's, that's what we're seeing in the deployment. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the kid line tonight? Uh, sure. Well, you can start. start. Start with it because it seems like you want to bring this up. So you have thoughts. I... I don't know. They haven't been very good the last few games, it feels like. It feels like they are struggling a bit defensively. I think Sam Steele 
has looked good tonight. I think that he had some good sequences. I think Max Contois even had some moments. But this was probably the worst game I've seen Troy Terry play in a long time. I mean, maybe maybe his numbers weren't so bad, but just watching him play looked really uncomfortable with the puck. I mean, he he just seemed to be off in his timing, turning it over. He had a, he had a dump in that couldn't even dump it in correctly. It basically instantly turned into a a rush for the Colorado Avalanche going the other way because it was picked off so easily. So I'm. <laughs> Although you want to see that line succeed if you're the Ducks because those three guys are the future, I feel like we're maybe reaching a point where they're struggling a bit and maybe they need to be broken up in some way because they they are still struggling very much defensively. Even on even in tonight's game, um, they had the second most expected goals against, but their time on ice was I mean they had the least time on ice together. Yeah. So of all, of all four lines. So I, I think that there's just something kind of missing with that line and maybe it's the deployment. Maybe it's who they're playing with, uh, with the, which defenders they're playing with. But I just, I don't really see as much there as I did in, in the first few games. Yeah. The, my issue with that line, I think you and I both wanted to succeed because I think in concept, you and I both really love that, that line setup and that uh, basically kind of the, the thought process behind it, having these three young guys, they're all hungry, kind of playing a more creative style of game. The issue that I think I have is that outside of that first game where they were the best line for the Ducks, on the whole, they haven't been that great defensively, and the numbers kind of well, their numbers that. have been their, their numbers have been terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Their numbers have not been good, and I think that that is that's my biggest concern is that they just they haven't been good. They they had that one good game, and then they haven't really been as good. They I think the the positive that you can take away from that line is that they have shown in flashes in almost every game the the creativity, the offensive ability, but the issue is it's just in flashes, and it, there's not enough substance there on the whole yet, and I think that they need to have more consistency in their game. That's what's been missing so far. And and they give it all back defensively. Like That's the big problem there, is that even if they're not showing flash, flashes, as long as they can hold up their end of the bargain defensively, then it's okay, right? It's just kind of a low event style, yeah. but that's not what's happening at all. And um, I haven't really dug into it, so I don't know who's the culprit, if it's just all three, if it's the sum of the parts, or if it's one of them that's struggling, but it's just not really working. And this isn't that shocking. I mean, Sam Steele and Max Contois had really bad defensive numbers last year. So expecting that to kind of flip on a dime maybe might not have been entirely reasonable. Yeah, I... I think just on the whole, something's not clicking in the defensive zone for them. And to me, the only thing that's somewhat surprising... Well, they're, they're, they're young players exactly. who are kind of... This is their first regular role together. Yeah. So not yep. shocking, I suppose. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay, let's um, let's get into the biggest topic to me of this game. I don't really have much to say on the blue line because I think Larson, Walensky, they were not very good. Um, and one trend I do want to talk about... Kevin Shattenkirk has really struggled the last few games. He has. He like, has. You know, the, the, I mean, he's looked completely overmatched in some of these games. And maybe the Avalanche are just a really bad stylistic matchup. But even if you go back to against Minnesota, you know, where he took the, was it three penalties in one game? He's gotten into this really bad habit of, and maybe this is just something that we didn't know about him, but he, he tends to take bad penalties. And he's been caught a few times at his blue line. And I am... I'm a little concerned about that because the minutes with Lindholm 
that's kind of what you're banking on if you're the Ducks right now to win those minutes, and they're just not. Yeah, they're they're not, and I think that that's a, the thing that's surprising to me is that I, I think it, maybe we were blinded by how good they were against Vegas, but their numbers were really good, and they've kind of really taken a downturn since then, and it, it's somewhat surprising because I expected them to kind of work out so well together, but Shattenkirk has not been good. He's turned the puck over. I mean, there was a the the yeah. goal to, the goal tonight happened or from the Avalanche happened because it was a really bad turnover through the neutral zone. Um, or not through the neutral zone, in the defensive zone, right to the middle of the ice that gave the puck right to the avalanche. And you can nitpick over who should have been covering the guy, but it was a poor pass. And that's what set up that yeah. goal. And I think that that's the main culprit there of that goal is that one. Well, even Lindholm, is, he's also taking penalties. Like they're, they're, they're trading off bad penalties. And I mean, this is something we've known about Lindholm is that he does take, tend to take more penalties. So yeah, I, I don't know when it's going to be time to maybe split them up, but right now it's it's not really a mix that's working out for them. I think, I mean, we'll get more into this later, but they are playing Arizona for the next two games, and so that'll be kind of a test. If I, they still look bad against that team, then that's when you really start to ask questions. Yeah, I, I think we're going to know a lot more come then. I think we learned a lot about this team, I think, against Minnesota. I think, I, I think throughout the season we're going to be able to say this of games against Vegas, games against Colorado, even potentially games against St. Louis, even though St. Louis maybe not be as good as everyone thinks they are. Um, Colorado and Vegas specifically, if you can end up picking up points off of those teams, I think you're in good shape to be able to make the playoffs. Um, and I, I think you shouldn't take away too much from that, though, from those games because of how good those teams are. So, But the I, the problem is that they're going to have to play them a bunch more. Yes. So you, you can't completely more, write it off either. What is it, yeah. six more times each? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. they're not really out of the woods well, yet. No, there. But, but my point in saying that is... But I get what you're it, saying. My point yeah. in saying that is, with it being a divisional setup, and um, is that Vegas? every team in the division has to play Vegas and Colorado eight times. So mm-hmm. you can basically expect that we expect Vegas and Colorado to basically run over the division, right? O- overall, by the end of by the end yes. of all, Vegas and Colorado yes. will run it over. In order to do that, they're going to have to beat all of the other teams, which means mm-hmm. majority of the nights, other teams aren't going to be getting points from them. So any any game against Vegas or Colorado where you can take away points from it, that's a win for you. And I think that the Ducks were able to get three yeah. points out of these two games is a big win for the Ducks. No, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that this was the worst possible scheduling start to the season. I mean, oh, they yeah. had no no ability to, to kind of get their legs under them before facing the top dogs, which, hey, I mean, some people maybe prefer it this way. Just find out right away how you look against the best of the best, but they're not really gunning for the best of the best. They're, they're gunning to beat the Arizonas, the LAs, the San Jose's, right? Those kind of teams. So yeah. and, we'll have and to so- see. And so I think that we're really going to need to see. I mean, the, the series against Arizona coming up is going to be really it's, telling. We're not going to do too much of a preview on this episode, but that, that's a big series win. for this duck. That's a big series for this Ducks team. Yeah, they they kind of have to win at least one of those games. Um, I think. Yeah. So, but I did. The, I mean, to me, the big topic though from tonight that I wanted to get on is this fascination that Dallas Akins has with using the fourth line of Nick Delorier, Derek Grant, and Carter Rowney as the shutdown or matchup line. They played a ton against the McKinnon line tonight, which, I mean, you got to think about just the, think about the rationale here, the big picture. The, the Derek Grant line was one of the very worst statistical lines at 5-on-5 five five last year. They, huge disparity in how much they generate versus how much they give up. And you're, you're choosing to, to match them up as the home team 
where you have the you have the choice, you're choosing to match them up against one of the best lines in the NHL. Bold strategy, Cotton. Yep, and I think that we can both say didn't pay off for them. Um, they well, they they got blasted in those minutes. I mean, they, they, what's crazy is that not only did they give up, you know, some some pretty significant volume, they also didn't generate a, a single shot attempt, not one, not one shot attempt with, with those three on the ice. That it's almost it's so bad that it's almost you could just chalk it up to it being an anomaly. But they got nothing out of those minutes, and it's it's just kind of mind boggling to me. I, I mean, I. I think that I just don't really understand what Dallas Aiken sees in that line that's leads him to the conclusion that he can put them out there against some of the league's best and survive because sure they didn't get scored on and you could argue that they succeeded in their mission because they actually gave up the least amount of expected goals against as a line. Um, It's just, you know, I, I think that that is kind of overlooking the bigger picture. Yeah, it 100% is it's, it's, it's essentially, I mean, you can say good on Grant, good on Rowney, good on Delorier for in that match. By the way, th- I just want to quickly point out, this is not me saying that these are bad players or that, you know, shame on them. or This is just a choice that's being made by the staff, and that is a debatable choice, heavily debatable. Yeah, and, and I think the, the issue here is that even though they did a decent job of limiting the, those chances against by only having .21 expected goals against at 5-on-5, five five, the issue here is that they have no ability to turn the puck up against those guys. And basically you are just defending, defending, defending. And even if they are keeping the outside, that longevity of being stuck in the defensive zone will end up resulting potentially in a goal long-term. I mean, John Gibson ends up uh, facing more shots. I mean, even though it was 0.21 expected goals against, it was five shots on goal against, nine shot attempts against while those guys were on the ice in their eight minutes and 30 seconds of time on ice, which actually seems a little bit low because I think, uh, maybe as a line, they weren't always out there. But I think uh, if you look Grant, at it, it felt like he was always out there. It, it was nine minutes out of McKinnon, 16 minutes of five on five play. Uh, Derek mm-hmm. Grant was out there against him, which it, it just yeah. it feels like it's just not optimal. And this isn't necessarily uh, an indictment of the, the Grant line. I'm not the biggest fan of them, but. I mean, it's, it's a it's a big ask for, it, for them. It, it's putting them in a position to fail as compared to succeed. I mean, I talked about this at the front. Why would you not want to have Adam Henrique, Danton Heiden, and Jacob Silverberg out there? I mean, well, Danton, yeah. Danton Heiden and Jacob Silverberg can hang with with Nathan McKinnon. Maybe they won't. They will get. They they're not able to skate as fast as him. Maybe they're not able to fully keep up. But they can at least hang and be able to play defensively against. And there's guys. also there's also a threat that they may generate some offense the other way. Exactly. Whereas exactly. with Grant, it, it's just not there. Now, one thing I do want to point out that is kind of interesting is that Lindholm and Shattenkirk played a bunch of their minutes with that line, and so. Is is that like a five man unit going on the shutdown unit? I mean, maybe um, that maybe that ends mm-hmm. up being more of a more of something to look into about why maybe Shattenkirk hasn't looked as good. Yeah, um, that he's just it, playing with these guys with these tough assignments that just don't really make sense. Yeah, when you exactly. put it all together. So exactly. yeah, I mean, I think that that does give some some context to Shattenkirk. I still don't think he's been playing well, but in terms of his overall stats, maybe you can give that a little time now. Here's the argument that I could see for why they would do this. You tell yourself, okay, we're not going to win those minutes at all, but if we can survive them to some degree, then that will free up our other lines to go to work. And to, I mean, you could say that they that strategy did bear out because the Ducks, 
did win the um they did win the expected goals battle in almost every other line. I mean, outside of the, the Sam Steele line, um, you know, Henrik did Henrik's line did well in that respect. Getzlaff's line did well. Both those lines scored. So maybe just kind of taking an L in one category to win in other places is how they're viewing it. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what I would do, yeah. but I, I could see that being the thought process. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the thought process there. I think that obviously you and I would find a lot of flaws with that that thought process. I think if you have a line that's getting outshot, at least if they can generate potentially something and get it out of your zone, that's helpful. Yeah. But to get completely shattered where you don't have a shot attempt for, that's I mean that's just bad. That that's bad as a line when you can't have one shot attempt. It just it's so counterintuitive to go this route. That's the thing. Even if you're not some big believer in analytics or whatever, I still think that you just look at that line and you tell yourself, I don't know if I want them out there all the time against Nathan McKinnon. Like, yeah, like it, 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 he doesn't take a rocket scientist here, but that's the route that Dallas Akins went with. And Hey, they won the, they won the game. So we can't, we can't completely bash them. It's just kind of a, it's a long-term thing to keep an eye on because it's very clear that Dallas Akins does view them as the shutdown line. And I just have some reservations there. Okay. Um, anything else on this game before we take a quick little break here? Nope. John Gibson's very good. And that is all. Yeah. And Ryan Getzlaff, by the way, j- just in case you forgot, Ryan Getzlaff you, is, is still very good. Are you taking your victory lap right now? <laughs> no, it's not really a victory lap because he, he would do that anyway. But um, yeah, I think that that's another thing that we haven't totally talked about is that Ryan Getzlaff, I don't know, how, what, what's your read on his season so far? I think he's had a good season. I think that, I don't think he was as good in the first couple games of the season. I think once they put him back with Raquel, I don't know if maybe it's just a situation where he had better line mates, better quality of line mates that he was able to do more with it. But in the first, and maybe it's a situation where Vegas just did a really, really good job of uh, shutting him down against Vegas. He had some flashes, but I feel like on the whole, it really just didn't click for him in that series. Whereas mm-hmm. I think ever since then, he's looked a whole lot more dangerous. He's set up a lot more chances. He's finding guys with these ridiculous passes. That, I mean, he did that against Vegas also by finding Lundstrom. And I think maybe it's a situation where no, you get uh, a better line. Oh, yeah, Heinen, you're right. Sorry. Where, yeah. where you give him better line mates where they're able to finish those chances. And uh, <laughs> it it's just, it's fun to see him play still. And I think that that's what it, where I'm at right now is that no matter what, we're at the in the twilight of his career. This is a franchise superstar where hopefully he plays all of his career as a duck. And I'm just enjoying yep. watching him dish out passes he, he, and having some fun. He almost won a he almost won a a fifty fifty race for an icing tonight. I don't know if you saw that, but he was his skating looks okay. I mean, the thing with Getzlaff, and I agree with you in all those points. And by the way, me correcting in Lundestrom, uh, very on brand for me, just not giving Lundestrom any credit for anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I think that yeah, it's the things that he's doing well. They're they're still completely there, and as long as you get him guys that that can do something with those gifts. You're going to see results. I mean, that's why the lunacy of putting Lindstrom on that first line to start the season, it's just going to go down as such a terrible move because you you wasted an opportunity. I mean, look at how as soon as you put Ricard Raquel on that line, just someone who can do anything with the puck, who has any degree of offense to their game, how quickly that yields results. Um, 
Dallas Higgins just never we're just we're just never gonna forgive him for that. I think I, I think that, that that one's just gonna go down in history as uh, that one that one you're gonna hold on to for a while. <laughs> I even I, I was on the, uh, the the fourth period show this weekend and I, I even brought that up. I somehow brought that up when they were asking me just general questions. I, I somehow slipped in a, a Lundestrom shot. So there you go. Damn, damn. Um, go, going big time with it on uh, Sirius XM. <laughs> well, you know, I want people to know. You, you got to know what's going on here. Not not just the not just the big picture stuff. The nuts and bolts are important. But before we move on, um, should we talk about our friends at Bespoke Post? Yes. So the curators at Bespoke Bespoke Post have done it again this winter with the all new lineup of essential box of awesome collection for guys, guaranteed to upgrade your life. Whether it's showcase pieces to level up your indoor hosting skills or cozy threads for those bustery days. Bespoke only sends guys uh, the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. And so right now, I actually got a a little uh, survival knife from them. It's really cool. And on the way, actually, I have a very fun duffel bag coming my way. I've needed a a good duffel bag because Felix – should, yeah. should I out? Should I tell this here? Should I out myself here? I, I think it's time. Where's this the, going? The duffel bag that I've been using for the past like three or four years when I want to when I go on a little weekend trip, weekend getaway, things like that, where I don't want to have a full suitcase. I've been using the Ducks Die Hard bag for about the past okay. two or three years, and it's pretty worn. It's not exactly the nicest thing ever. I think uh, my wife uh, shakes her head in shame anytime we go to a hotel, and that's the one that I have with yeah. me, and so. You're really coming in from style. Yeah. Coming in from bespoke posts. I have a very nice duffel bag coming my way and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And I mean, regardless, I mean, I think that if you're looking for, to get one of these boxes, there's just so many different options. I mean, you you can get headphones, shaving materials, um, the survivor knife. So it's just kind of a cool thing and it can serve a variety of purposes. So I'm excited to get mine as well. Um, went with the headphones so it's gonna yep. be it's gonna be nice to, to yep. kind of keep this going and if you're one of those people who likes i mean especially right now in kind of this world that we're in with still having to stay home uh variety is truly the spice of life because every day can really feel like groundhog day so bespoke post can get you covered there Yep, and to get started, you can take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. So if you're a little bit indecisive, don't know what you want, there's a quiz there, and they release new boxes every single month. Um, it's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only forty-five dollars, but has an over seventy dollars worth of or has over seventy dollars worth of gear inside. So you can get twenty percent off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com. Use the code CTP at checkout. That's CTP like crash the pond. That's boxofawesome.com. Code CTP for twenty for twenty percent off your first box. Awesome. Yeah, I am looking forward to this. So. Covered that game that happened tonight. Big win for the Anaheim Ducks. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the games that happened throughout the week? Uh, Some of the takeaways from those games. Yes, let's go ahead and do it. So we had the entire Minnesota Wild Series that happened. uh, Both games (laughs) against them where the Ducks were able to uh, win one, lose one. And then you have the first game against the Colorado Avalanche where the Ducks were able to go into overtime and lose the game in three on three. Where do you want to start? There's just so much here. Um, can we say this? The, the Ducks 
name a worst combination: the Ducks and three on three overtime. It's it's, it's pretty, actually it's, it's kind it's, of baffling how bad they are in overtime. It's pretty bad, and I think that that's the takeaway, obviously, from the 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 the, the game from on Friday. Well, I mean, the Ducks played by far their best game out of the entirety of it the was, season. They played well. Tonight. I mean, they caveats aside, really well. they played well. They took they, it to the Avalanche. This was the first game of the entire season where you can say John Gibson was not the reason they got points. They deserved to get that game to overtime. And they they deserved to win that game. And what's what's very frustrating is that it seems like basically ever since three on three has come into play the ducks are just very bad at it and they it, here's my here's my theory like a special it. kind of bad here's my theory behind it okay the ducks have never been a team that have thrived in transition play even when they were at their peak they were a team that was a grinded out type of team they were built on mm-hmm. on ryan gets they were built on ryan kessler they were built on these guys that would hold uh, the puck in the offensive zone um and, and really kind of wear down teams and grind it out to be able to get a shot in the first uh in the offensive zone after having some zone time mm-hmm. three on three is not meant for that three on three you need to have transition play and you need to be able to push the puck up the ice and be able to get guys to be able to make a mistake while you're moving on it and be able to cash in on potential two-on-one when you beat a guy and it's based on mm-hmm. individual uh individual battles of one-on-one play and I think the issue for the Ducks is even now, even as they've had an influx of, of some younger players, they're still not good in the tra- in transition in the offensive part of that. And they're not able to beat guys. Anytime they end up with a two-on-one or things like that, it's a situation where that's happened because of guys blowing a tire, different things like that. And so they're not able to generate and manufacture odd man rushes by themselves. They need mistakes from the other team. And so the issue here is that the Ducks, when they have the puck, they're trying to just slowly enter the zone and basically cycle around, cycle around, cycle around until Mm -hmm. hopefully the other team makes a mistake. The issue is, is that guys just keep them to the outside. And so I think that the issue here is the Ducks just don't have a roster that's ever built for this situation they're very much kind of set in slower yeah. style of hockey and they but don't you have know, the ability you to know what it. i'm going to say to that what are you going to say well that you still that doesn't mean you have to be this bad <laughs> at three on three even if your True. roster isn't i mean no one's building their roster for three on three but yeah i get what you're saying um yeah, I think overall, though, in that game, a lot of signs of growth for the Ducks in in the first game against Colorado. I mean, they actually outshot Colorado in the first period, 18-13. to 13. Didn't score, but when you compare that first period to the first periods that we've seen from this team, uh, just some truly gruesome first periods, uh, that was somewhat impressive. I mean, even given the fact that the Avs were uh, maybe dealing with some fatigue still to come out and, and have an advantage was a, a sign of progress for this team. Yep, definitely, definitely. And then I think if you look at the rest of that game, I mean, uh, I think that one thing that we have to mention is that the when we talk about Shattenkirk potentially struggling, had a pretty bad turnover in that game as well. But, um, you know, we did see, and talking about that pairing, we did see Hampus Lindholm get on the board. Really nice feed from Ricard Raquel. You know, Ricard Raquel is really just going right now. Um but just kind of hilarious that in that three-on-three overtime, John Gibson stops a two-on-zero. You know, does everything you could possibly ask, and then the Ducks can't cover for that that wraparound, and it, and it ends up being an Avalanche win. So, very yeah. exciting game, if nothing it was, else. <laughs> it was. It was the most entertaining game on the whole for the Ducks, and this was, I think, the first game where they really actually got chances if you look at expected goal totals in all situations they were at 3.33 expected goals for um i think this was the first time they had broken three 
I don't even think mm-hmm. they had broken really two and a half in all situations throughout any game. So they were generating, they were playing fun hockey. And I mean, this was a game where I look back on it and maybe, and, and the ducks were, were pushing and they were having fun and it was an entertaining game to watch. And yeah. I, I think that this was one where if the ducks played this type of game throughout the season, even if they lost, and I said mm-hmm. this on, on Twitter afterwards, I'm very content as a ducks fan with this game. Because if here's it, well, here's the reason is that even though they Mm -hmm. lost, if the Ducks played more games like this, they would win more than they would lose. It's that simple. They're, they're outplaying the other team and they're playing an up, up tempo, up tempo style. And they're playing a fun style. So not only could it potentially result in wins, but it's creating a more entertaining product for everyone to watch. I, I agree with you. Let's, uh, let's kind of recap the Minnesota series a little bit since we haven't dived into that yet. So, what are some of your thoughts? I mean, you are one of the biggest Minnesota Wild fans in the world, so surely you have some takeaways here. I thought that was you. Well, Marco Rossi isn't in the lineup yet, so until that uh, happens, uh, I'm, I'm uh, not fully uh. in. Yeah. So here's my takeaway from from this series is the Ducks got lucky to be able to get a win in uh, the first game, I believe, was the one where they ended up getting the win yeah, out one of it. Yeah, 1-0. Uh, one, one nothing win. I mean, expected goals really show that the Minnesota Wild really generated the most chances. Um, I, I think that maybe the only thing for the Wild moving forward that is a, a hole that would open up for the Ducks is I think the Wild may, may be missing out a little bit on their lineup optimization, and I think that they're going to struggle to score goals slightly as a result of that. And even though they're generating good chances, things like that, it may be a hurricane situation of a couple years ago where they're getting a lot of chances, but they don't necessarily have the finishers on the ice, whether that is because they're for whatever reason playing Victor Rask with uh, Kirill Kaprasov, um, or they were, I think they played uh, uh, Bukestad with him tonight, but they're missing that center skill to be able to, to distribute the puck and put it back in the back of the net. And so, I think even though the Wild are good at five on five, they may struggle to score score goals as a result, and maybe that's what we saw in this first game. Um, not having necessarily the scoring talent to be able to put one behind John Gibson. Now, having said that, this is not a repeatable way to 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 win a game for the Ducks. Um, they really uh, they really played a pretty poor game in that first one that they won uh, one to nothing. And then I think the yeah. Wild. Uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that first game outside of that? Well, no, I was just going to echo that they were not good in that first game, and they did steal that one, which when you have John Gibson in net, that's the recipe, right? Get get yeah. one and then just <laughs> say, here you go, John Gibson. Just just take care of the rest. Yeah, and then in the second game, you saw uh, the Ducks play a bit more of a competitive game. Um, they were still kind of behind the eight ball, though. They were not playing the best hockey ever. They did end up getting goals from Nick Deloria and Cam Fowler off some ni- nice plays from that line. And I believe in that game specifically, the fourth line actually played a really good game and I'm not one to necessarily give them props all the time, but they deserve it for yeah. that game. They were, they, they've they had were okay the performances this season. They have. Like we're, we're not categorically rejecting them as a concept. It's just, you know, it, it was more so about tonight, but yeah, I mean, what I would say about that game that was somewhat encouraging and that maybe trickled over into the Colorado series a bit is that, After getting really pushed around in the first period, I mean, when you look at the stats, they were just completely outplayed. Um, I mean, they got almost doubled up in shot attempts. They they did manage to win those categories in the second and third period. And so even though it wasn't a pretty game for them, I do think that there was at least Mm -hmm. some sign of growth there. And 
hey, I texted you after the game that that, that was a growth, uh, kind of a, oh. an example of growth, and you rejected it pretty hard, and as it turns out, the Ducks looked better against Colorado. So Well, they made the change in the, this was when you texted me that, let's be clear, that was after game one when you texted me that, not game No, two. it was after game two. Maybe it was after game one. I don't know. It was it was after but, game one because game one was where the changes happened. And I guess that's one positive you well, can take away from the first game was was yeah. that was when the, the changes to the lineup happened where you, yeah. you saw the swap of Raquel back to Getzloff. And I think that they did see that, positive results after that. In well, that we first also game. saw we also saw I mean, OK, so two other things that I guess we should point out about that game uh, or the, that series is we saw Sonny Milano come into the lineup. You know, so yes. the lineup change there. He looked great right away. I mean, did. it, it, it didn't take any time for him to look like he was meant to be on that line with Getzlaff. Um, and then, but unfortunately we saw him end up on IR. I don't really know what the injury was for him. Um, it may have happened and then in Josh, practice, who knows? And then Josh Manson. I mean, this is the other big one that I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet is he got into a fight, I think in the first period of the min- yeah. first Minnesota game Yep. and suffered an oblique injury and now he's out six weeks. So yeah. I guess this is kind of a good segue for us to go into some more bigger picture topics, but um, what is your view of this team now moving forward after what you've seen? Um, I think that the lines are pretty much constructed how they probably should be as of now. If you're going to have the fourth line be the fourth line, then okay, fine. <laughs> I, I think the other three lines probably should stay as is. Maybe you, you mess around with that the, the kid line and, and maybe put a David yeah, Marcus I, there to help I think out that a that, bit I think, defensively. I think the time... The time for that is coming. It's, yeah. It's a, and, it, like the, the, the clock is ticking. And, and maybe it is a situation where you put David Backus there and take Max Comtois out and to, to really solidify that well, line a little bit. That's the other thing. Who do you take out from that line? Because I mean, can you really take out Comtois when he's been scoring? I mean, well, he hasn't here, scored in a bit. Here's, but. The, here's the issue is Max Comtois is the only one that's waiver exempt. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Troy Terry. Troy Terry is not waiver exempt. Sam. Oh, Sam Steele is waiver exempt also. So yeah. it could be Sam Steele. I doubt that but, will happen though. I mean, it's you know, and I think Sam Steele's probably been the best one of the three. You know, yeah, I know that Contois has the goals, but I think Sam Steele has been the more all around player of the three. I mean, yeah, Troy, and, Troy Terry. As much as I've gone to bat for him, you know, he hasn't in the games that we've seen. He hasn't taken that kind of next step. He still looks good at times, but he still looks a lot like the player we saw last year. Just does some things really well, kind of stays in his lane. We haven't really seen him take that next step. You know, he talked before the season about wanting to be one of the best players in the league and not just kind of get by. And so far, we just haven't really seen much of that from him. Yeah, we, we really haven't. And I think that that's somewhat of a, of a frustration of mine because I've obviously been someone to go bat for him for a long to bat for him for a long time. And we've seen it in flashes, but I mean, he's at the age where he needs to start producing. I yeah. mean, it, it's that plan. I, I wouldn't it needs to start. I wouldn't coming. be shocked if he gets. I don't know if something so, happens there. <laughs> so I, I think that's the line where maybe we could see some changes to it. I think that Henrik Heinen Silverberg is working. Well, right they're now. rolling. Yeah, yeah, and, and get Getzloff and Raquel are working well. Maybe you look you look at bringing up Trevor Zegers and, and putting him with Getzloff. I think that that is. I still look at that line and I'm just like, even though Max Jones, no, no disrespect to him. He had a really good game tonight. He's been good since he's come into the lineup, but I, I look at that line and now granted Zegers would play a different game. He's not as good on the four check as Max Jones. So maybe that's a downfall, but I just look at the potential of having Getzloff and Zegers on the ice with Ricard Raquel. And I just kind of really, 
my brain just well, goes gotta, to all these different places about the potential, uh, the the amount of goals yeah. that that line could score on the whole. But you got to think though, what kind of Zegras are you getting as a first year NHLer though? I mean, because you're not getting World Junior Zegras out there. No, no, as you're far not. As we but, know. I, but I do think that, and this is one thing I wanted to bring up actually was that. We saw Bowen Byram jump into the lineup for the Avalanche, and mm-hmm. if for those of you that same watched the World class. Juniors, he would well not only same draft cast draft class, but played at the World Juniors, and he looked really good at the World Juniors. And you can see that there is a translation level from the World Juniors to the NHL. There is a mm-hmm. step up, but if you look good at the World Juniors, there you can look good in the NHL right away also. And we see that. I thought well, Bowen Byram looked yeah. absolutely fantastic in these two oh, yeah. games that he played. I and, think the abs kind of need him. <laughs> it will, and I think that having looked at that, I I see that and I'm like, well, Trevor Zegras, why can't he make that same jump? Why do the Ducks? The Ducks are in a much different position than the Avalanche, and yet the Avalanche are thrust, thrusting a kid into their lineup to help them and not trying to let him develop. And it's because they think that he's the best player on the team or best best person to jump into the lineup. And I don't really understand the logic behind keeping Zegras down if he so, keeps doing that. Yeah, we're going in a bunch of different directions right now, Correct. but that's fine. That's fine. It's it's totally okay. That's the show. Um, it's, you know, I'm okay with it. But one thing I did w- did want to see on Zgres, I think that the last two games kind of hurt his uh, chances of coming up in the near future. The more that the Ducks play well and put up some goals and win, the less I think the Ducks feel the pressure to bring him in. Um, after Minnesota, after the Minnesota series, I was clamoring for Zgres because I thought – this is an example of why you need as much offense as possible in your lineup. Um, but the last two games against Colorado, I mean, maybe Colorado is just not as good of a defensive team. Who knows? But they did look better offensively. They did. I mean, it was still wasn't great. You, there's still definitely some more uh, meat on the bone. But I, I think that they're not going to really go to that route until they feel like they absolutely have to. And I disagree with that, of course. Yep. Um, yep. 100%. I, I think you're, you're I think better that- off trying and so I, I think that they'll probably keep Jones with, with Getzloff and, and Raquel unless Milano comes back and maybe he jumps back well, into that he's spot. on IR, so what's the minimum there for time I think it's off? like a week. I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it's a week. Um, 12 days, the, something. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. So mm-hmm. to so in terms of overall roster construction with the defense now, what we've seen since yes. Manson went out is we've seen Lindholm and Chattenkirk, and it seems like that's going to stay the way it is. The returns on that D pair have not been great, actually. Um, no, they've been uh, terrible. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Whereas, you know what's weird? You know what's oh, really, really strange? This. I'm ready for this. Once Josh Manson went out, Yanni Hockenpah got elevated to become Cam Fowler's partner. And Cam Fowler's numbers and his on-ice play like severely got better. They, they made a huge I- jump. And I can just Yanni hear, Hockenp- I can just, oh, sorry, finish up, sorry. And and it, it's hard to not make the connection that Yanni Hockenpah has made this Ducks defense better. <laughs> I love that because I know that we have listeners who are very much down on the Josh Manson, just Josh Manson as a player. And I can just hear them <laughs> saying, yes, of course, you know, of course Fowler is better without Josh Manson, but Hey, there's some there's some uh, legitimacy to that to that view because Manson looked awful before he got injured, and I think that that fight um, was a frustration fight. I think that he was just looking for a way to to get in there because his game just really wasn't 
where it needed to be. And what's interesting with Yanni Hockenpah is, you know, the numbers there, I mean, they're not awesome as, as a pairing. You know, they're, they're basically just breaking even. From an expected goals perspective, they are above. They'll, they're actually, let's see here. They're like 60%. Well, okay, so I'm looking. Sorry, I'm well, that was lost prior, here. Sorry, that was prior to tonight, though. I think they were at like. Sorry, no, okay, the, this is my bad. I scrolled right as I was going to pull it up. So, yeah, they're at 53.02 expected goals for percentage, which is okay, good. So that's after tonight because I that's think after tonight, tonight. they were in the. Yeah. But, 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 yeah. but from shot attempts. But so what, what I find interesting about that is this is now year two of Camp Fowler looking really good next to a partner who's just kind of a stay at home. Um, not quite as mobile, not taking as many risks type defenseman because we saw Fowler do well next to Eric Branson, who I don't think is as it's not he's definitely not the same player as Yanni Hockenpah, but maybe a similar archetype. Um, I will say though, Yanni Hockenpah, he, he 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 can get involved offensively at times as well. I mean he's he's jumped up in the play, he's made some some nice passes, gotten some shots on net, so he's not just purely like an anchor back there either. Yeah, he's not. And I mean, he's jumped into the play a couple of times and yeah. it, it's I love it, it. it's been inter- interesting. He actually I think almost had a give and go with Getzloff where he was able to he yes. almost was able to score. Um, yeah. he's been put entertaining. Him, put, put him at he, forward. He's Corbin not been, style. He's not been horrible. He doesn't look as slow as he he did at the beginning of last year. He's been serviceable. Now, having said that, I probably wouldn't want him in my top four typically, but he's a perfectly yeah. good bottom pairing defenseman. He's going to be elevated into this role for, what is it, six six weeks, I think is what Mance's prognosis is. I think when I looked it up, it's going to be 20-some-odd games. games. Yeah. 20-some-odd well, games the, that he's going to miss. Here's the question, though. So a couple things off of that. So I think that for right now, they're working, so you keep them together. But here's my question. Um you see, you've seen right now about three games of Andy Walensky and Jacob Larson. Numbers not at all convincing. I mean, they've been out, out chanced, out shot, attempted, expected goals not in their favor. Which I mean, shocker, right? That those two wouldn't be great together. What's going on with Ben Hutton? I mean, why hasn't I, he played yet? I think it's just a situation of maybe he's not up to speed. So I, so I. Did I catch flack for this? I don't know if I caught flack. Who knows? Um, you, got a on, little, you got a little bit of flack. I, I, I was called into question more than getting flack. So was this Wednesday? Wednesday or, or Thursday? Yeah, it was like Wednesday or Tuesday. Remember. I think it was Tuesday. I think it was the first it was game Tuesday. against the Wild. Or no, it was, no, no, it was Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. So on Wednesday, the Ducks, like we found out that they were dressing Andy Walensky with Ben Hutton out of COVID protocol, out of quarantine, had only a couple days to skate, but I went on Twitter and kind of let a hot take fly. I said, yeah, like this, Ben, why would you even go to this AHL or an Andy Walensky when you have Ben Hutton there? I understand that he's uh, been out, but he's probably still better. And the fact that Dallas Akins brought up that, you know, Walensky has chemistry with Jacob Larson, the AHL just kind of drove me up the wall because... You have Ben Hutton there. You brought you signed him to a contract for a reason. Um, so anyway, that that really kind of that really fired me up. And then Eric Stevens replied to my tweet saying, "Well, this is the organization's view that basically he hasn't had much time, which is a reasonable view, right? But they have yeah. stuck with it since that time. So maybe I wasn't so crazy to say that it was that it was just a decision that they're making, um, or mean, maybe." Maybe Ben Hutton still isn't ready, but how much time does he need to get up to speed? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I really want to see Ben Hutton join this lineup, and I'm very curious to see what they do do with him once he joins. Well, maybe it, they maybe yeah. they didn't want his first game to be against Colorado. I'm really reaching right now, and I fully admit that that hey, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching I just to want find to say, logic. I just want to say that I was feeling a little scared after feeling like, hey, maybe I'm wrong here. But over time, my case has has gotten stronger. <laughs> I would say. I just uh, I just want to point that out. Um, they just, you know, Dallas Aikens and his, uh, his AHL pupils, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's got to go back to him when he can. Uh, but you know, I think Walensky watching him play, he looks has fine. he been, he looks fine. You know, he's just yeah. very limited. He's not really going to do a whole lot for you out there, but he's not necessarily going to lose it for you either. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying to, this is nothing against the players involved. It's just more of the decision-making process and who's going to help your team the most. Yeah, 100%. And I and I think that there are better ways to optimize this roster than I think what Dallas Aiken's doing. I mean, there's so many things like we said. Oh, really? The matchup with you, you, the matchup with Derek say. Grant, the the matchup with Derek Grant is one thing. Um I've had one person now get in my mentions on on Twitter basically telling oh. me uh they only allowed one point or Nathan McKinnon only had one point in the series, so I think they did pretty well. Ergo, uh, correct. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, "Oh yeah. Sure. Sure." The, sure. the 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 fourth line truthers are the best. Uh it's yeah. it it's baffling. But regardless, um I, I think there there's a bigger topic to talk about here, which is the fact that if we're looking at the overall roster construction, it seems like Bob Murray understands that something <laughs> does need to happen. Yeah. So I mean, this is something that was really coming down the pipe on Friday and then came to a fruition Saturday morning at like seven AM, six thirty AM. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, the center for the Blue Jackets, played his last game for the Blue Jackets this week um, after the, the shift. Um, he was shipped out and uh, to Winnipeg. But as the discussions were picking up, being made more public, we found out that the Ducks from Pierre Lebrun, from all the insiders, that the Ducks were really in on, uh, on Pierre-Luc, Dubois, Pierre-Luc Dubois and it sounds like they've also been in on him since the very beginning. So they've been in hot pursuit of Pierre-Luc Dubois, and it ended up being that the um, Blue Jackets traded him to Winnipeg in exchange for, uh, is it Jake or Jack Roslovich? And, Jack uh, Roslovic. Jack Roslovic and Patrick Laine, and I think there was a pick too. The yeah. point being, the Ducks did not get him. Now, my understanding is that the Ducks weren't, they weren't putting Zegras in a package. And so No, I I, I don't believe they were willing to part with Trevor Zegras or yeah. Jamie Drysdale as part of this. And I think that those were the two untouchables for them. And yeah. I, I think if you look at this package that that um that Columbus ended up getting from Winnipeg, I think the issue that the Ducks have and, and I think credit to Bob Murray, even though the deal obviously didn't get done, so you can't give him too much credit, but at least he recognized what there was in Pierre-Luc Dubois and was going for him. Um, I, I think the issue for the Ducks at all right now is, or with this trade is that the the Jets had an asset that uniquely fit exactly what Columbus wanted in a return. Columbus didn't want to give up Pierre-Luc Dubois in the first place. They were trading him because of his trade request, and basically the shit had hit the fan with, with the situation with what had happened on, what was it, Thursday in that game, uh, mm-hmm. where, where he was benched for all of it, and something had to happen. And 
they were moving him as a result to that. They were moving a 22-year-old potential first-line center that was just starting to enter his prime. This is a guy that was helping them not only now Columbus is trying to make the playoffs this season, but also their long-term first-line center. And they were probably looking for something that would fill that role in a similar fashion for them long-term. And so the um, the Jets had that similar type of piece. I mean, Patrick Laine was taken second overall. Pierre-Luc Dubois was taken third overall. They're the same exact age. They have the same outlook where they both help the team now and they both help long-term. I don't know if the Ducks had something that would do uniquely that. The Ducks had some has they have assets that will either help in the now or help in the long-term. And you can put together a package that would do both, but nothing in that same unique way that Patrick Laine does, even if you included Trevor's egress in the deal. I well, don't think... Yeah, I, I don't think Trevor Zegras being in the deal really helps in the same way Patrick Laine does because Laine, Pat, Trevor Zegras doesn't help you as much now as Patrick Laine does. And I think that's the reality of the situation of even if Zegras was included, this deal might not have gotten done. It may have gone Winnipeg's way. Well, that's the thing is that I think that the fact that the Ducks, from what we know, did not include Zegras um, and made it that far, it means that they at least had some kind of competitive offer or that the, or that he wasn't requisite. He wasn't necessarily well, what the Blue Jackets were looking for in a return, like you said. My guess, if I were to try to cobble together what I think the Ducks offered, I would be hard-pressed not to put, not to include Ricard Raquel's name in there. Because if you look at what they got from the Jets, they got an offensive player who is in his prime and who is right now under team control. So Ricard Raquel is probably the closest fit to that on the Ducks right now on their roster. Yeah, and I think this is purely speculation, no information on this at all. But if I were to speculate on kind of the deal the Ducks would have put together, it probably would have had to center around probably Ricard Raquel and Sam Steele, maybe an additional pick, maybe it's Max Comtois in there also. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that that's probably what it's centered around because Ricard Raquel gets you value now that helps you now. Sam Steele has value that will help you in the future. So it's, like I said, you can have two pieces in there that kind of help take both of those things, but there's not that one kind of piece like a Patrick lining that does that. Well, well, that's the thing is I feel like my question would be, how did this break down? Because was it at the point where the Blue Jackets and Jets had their offer kind of nearly agreed to gentlemen's agreement. And then, you know, Kekalainen calls Murray and says, Hey, I've, you know, the Jets and I are, we're, we're close to being done. What was, what was the thing that would have unlocked that? Right. Was there yeah. anything that he could have done? You know, was it Zegras? You know, what, what I, was I, it that could have swayed it? Is my question. I honestly don't even know if Zegers does that for it, though. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the thing is, they must have had an attractive package because yeah, when, uh, there there were there were basically the the reports were there were a lot of play a lot of teams in on Dubois as you would expect. I think it was like twelve teams or something like that. Were, yeah, but the the finalists the finalists were Calgary, Montreal, Anaheim, and Winnipeg. That, yes, those and, were the four and, teams that were still in on and, him. Saturday. And so it basically Winnipeg or not Winnipeg, Columbus told teams that they were that they their package wasn't good enough. And mm-hmm. they were out. And, and basically, so it, it almost was like uh, The Bachelor handing out roses. Yep, had to go there. Uh, wife watches it, you know. Um, and that's uh, that's what this seemed like. And the Ducks were not the one chosen. Their package wasn't considered good enough. Oh, God. I'm just... <laughs> Didn't even mean to do that, but you know. You know, 
you know. But so my thing is this. I think that this is healthy from Bob Murray because this is a proper assessment of what they need. They need a high-end young player that's already good. Um, and I, Pierre-Luc Dubois is that. Now, I, you know, there may be fans who are frustrated that the Ducks didn't make this happen. And it's like you were saying off the top on this on this subject. I just don't know what... I just don't think the Ducks had a path to getting him. Maybe they did. Maybe it was Zegras. Maybe it was Drysdale. And that was where Bob Murray drew, would, would draw the line. Now, my question is this. Let's say that the that the Blue Jackets tell you, we will we will send you Dubois if you give us, like, let's say the ask is Raquel and just Raquel and Zegras, let's say. Because uh, my answer the, the, would be yes to that. My, my answer probably would be yes. As hard I as would, I would have no problem trading Tre- Trevor Zegras to Columbus for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I know people might, might hate me for saying that, but the, the reality no, of the matter... Statement. The reality of the matter is that Pierre-Luc Dubois is already an established NHLer. He's only 22. He is already a potential, not best case scenario, but kind of a an upper percentile outcome for Trevor Zegras. Just a really good offensive center. Maybe has some issues defensively, but he's still got a really good upside. Now, of course, doesn't have the playmaking chops of Zegras. Just you know, watching him play, but he is of that ilk of just a high end young player. And so to me, if the cost is Zegras and Raquel, you know, it's just more sure value that you're getting with Dubois and you're still also helping your rebuild, right? You're not, you're not really sacrificing anything in your rebuild, in my opinion. I mean, it sucks to lose Zegras in that, in that moment, but I think you're getting more certainty by getting Dubois back. I think from a Ducks fan perspective, it's a tough pill to swallow. Oh, of course. And I, and I 100% understand that. Yeah. It's not necessarily the incorrect deal. Um, I, I think, from my perspective as a fan, it would be hard though because you well, you want to see him. You want to see the the best prospect in in a long time in, in Ducks franchise history. You want to see that come to fruition in a Ducks uniform. And I and look, it, there's many cautionary tales in the NHL of teams trading prospects uh, in deals that ended up you know where the prospect ended up being really good and the player they got Nick back was Suzuki, wasn't. for instance. Nick Suzuki is one. I mean, as a Canadians fan, I've got plenty that I could go off of that I'm not going to bring up. But this is different, though. This isn't Ryan McDonough for Scott Gomez, right? Because you're getting Pierre-Luc Dubois at the very beginning of his prime, right? And so it's yeah. it's different. Um, no, but I, it, it's I, I get one, it. It's 100% different. And mm-hmm. here's the thing is you're getting... Trevor Zegras, they're different players, but I think from an offensive impact perspective, I think you hope he can turn into Pierre-Luc Dubois. So if you're moving him, you are getting that in return. So you're, instead of... Yeah, they're, exactly. they're, Like, it may end up where Zegras may, be, may ends up being a higher ceiling, but you're getting Could a be. more for sure thing right now. And, and exactly. I think that's what you're trading for at the moment, is you're trading for a more for sure thing. It's something that helps you out in the now. It helps you out in the future. It helps the... It's a Bob Murray move to basically help the team. Now, granted, I do respect the fact that kind of what you and I had heard that Trevor Zegras was a, a for sure no as part of this deal. Um, yeah. And so I think that Bob Murray understood that he wanted to keep Zegras and potentially have Zegras go be paired with Pierre-Luc Dubois long-term. And I think that that is the right uh, right approach to this. And yeah, try because to be able then, to make this deal then it's a big value add if you get... Yes. Dubois without giving up Zegras because now you're mm-hmm. really set up for the future. Now you're looking at a great situation. Um, so, whereas what if you give up Zegras, it's still a win, but it's not as big of a win. 
so zooming out big picture, kind of what this means for the Ducks, where do they go from here type of situation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ducks were in on Dubois. And I don't think that's necessarily surprising, but I think that it is telling because it shows that Bob Murray understands this team isn't good enough. And, well, and now I, granted, yeah. Pierre-Luc, mm-hmm. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a great player, so you should be in on him no matter what. But the fact that you make it to the end under it is an understanding that your roster needs to get better, that you need to make this team better. And Pierre-Luc Dubois is a massive upgrade to that. And I think that this is really the first time that we've seen in some ways an acknowledgement from Murray that this roster needs significant improvement. Um, well, especially and- if, especially when you see how the veterans of this team started the season, um, I think that that may have expedited Murray's thought process because, yeah, now Jakob Silverberg has has scored his first goal. So as Ricard Raquel gets left, you know, is, yeah. is making plays. So that's moving in the right direction. But I still don't think that that changes his overall view that there are guys in this team who maybe this is just who they are at this point, and you might want to f- kind of shuffle the pieces around a bit. Yep. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, the the the, the thing that I'm wondering now as we really zoom out and maybe start, I mean, did you want to do questions? Yeah. So people in Twitch chat, uh, okay. start throwing some questions into the chat. We will get to those soon. Okay. So we're going to get into those very soon. I just wanted to wrap up and say this, where do the ducks go from here? Because I think it's clear that even though the ducks are fighting for, they're kind of fighting for a playoff spot. Money puck has them at 31.2% probability of making the playoffs right now, which kind of feels about right for how they've played. And, they haven't given me enough confidence to say that this is a group that you should continue to double down on and try to just eke into the playoff picture. And I think that we've seen that from some, some of the ways in some of the, the ways in which some of the veterans have struggled. And I think that without Dubois being available now, what is the path to improvement? What is the path to both short and long-term improvement? And it's tough to say there isn't really a situation now because not only is Dubois gone, but Line is also gone. So if they were at all thinking about Line, which we know that they had some interest in him, he's also gone. So I don't know what they do now. I mean, if the, if the season kind of keeps up at this clip and things really go downhill uh, or that, you know, they continue to struggle against the good teams and they, they can't really work their way into that fourth spot. I just I'm curious to see what Bob Murray's going to do because it feels like he's starting to trend towards let's make some significant changes. Yeah, and I I'm just trying to get a get a feel for potentially players that may be on the trading block a little bit to to maybe see at who the Ducks could go at because I mean Pierre Luc Dubois and um, Pierre Luc Dubois and Patrick Liner were really the two big names and I mm-hmm. don't really know any of the other ones from a forward perspective that really help out the ducks from a significant standpoint. I mean, uh, a big name that's been out there who's had a decent start to the season is Matt Dumba, but I don't, yeah, he's 26. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's someone that I would want to go not, after for this not team. the same positional need being filled there. The, the one thing I did want to say, cause I was asked this on Saturday on the, on the fourth period show was, you know, what, you know, is this a sign that Bomberi is big game hunting? Is this a sign of more situations to come? And I couldn't really say yes to that because Pierre-Luc Dubois just so uniquely fits what they need right now, right? Yeah. Like he, well, he he checks every single box. And, you know, I don't think another guy like that's going to come available in the near future. So I don't know if this is a sign that Murray is just getting out there and looking to make any trade he possibly can. 
I also think it's a I also think it's a situation where Pierre Luc Dubois I think uniquely fits exactly kind of yeah. how Bob Murray views hockey. He he's <laughs> the style of player. I mean, no, yeah. it's true though because no, it, you're it, not it wrong. Be an, it, it's an interesting jump to go from kind of a hard hitting, very skilled player in Ryan Getzloff to a very similar type of build in Pierre Luc Dubois. He doesn't yeah. necessarily have the playmaking ability of Ryan Getzloff, but there's a lot of similarities between those two. Yeah. The nastiness, the 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 ability to get in, the the big body, everything along those lines. And and so I'm not necessarily sure I can say that um that Bob Murray is big game hunting or if he just saw a unique player that fit exactly what he wanted. That's, and that's so he kinda went what I think all out after him. And, and so well, maybe you I, know what it really I, was? This is the real explanation. He just got the rumor out there to put some fear into his veterans to play better. That's all it is. You think that that's no, where it's I, at? Yeah, I'm 100 yeah. percent joking, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I, where do they go from here? I don't really know. I I don't know because yeah. I don't know who's really on the trading block. I don't really know. I I, I want to believe that this is a sign that Bob Murray understands this roster needs to be improved, but I'm not necessarily sure because of what we just talked about that he actually thinks that and. Yeah, so I, exactly. And I think on the blue line, there's a concern with, with obviously we're impressed with Yanni Hockenpah's game, but will that continue throughout the course of the season? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think long-term, where does Trevor Zegras fit? There, there's still a lot of question marks on this team moving forward. And I think there's potentially more questions now than there were to start the year. Well, that's the thing. And, and that's kind of the, I guess if we're going to cast some, we don't want to be Debbie Downers, but that's the thing. This no. team, this the Ducks are aiming to make the playoffs. They have openly said that, so we're operating under that framework. They have said they want to make the playoffs. They haven't really looked like a, calib- a playoff-caliber team so far. Would you agree with that? It, yes. So if you had to, from what we've seen in the first, what, week and a half of the season, where mm-hmm. would you, what's your your redone prediction for the Pacific? I'm sticking with mine. I think they're fifth. Well, overall for the Pacific, you think they're fifth, so you think it's going to for the West. You, you have mean to give the the Honda West. Is it the is it the West, not the Pacific? Yeah, Honda West. Sorry, the Honda <laughs> West. It's probably going to be what some combination of Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota, uh, Minnesota above them. Yeah, yeah, you can so, almost lock Minnesota for third. But yeah, I I still think that they're they're kind of a fifth place team, just on the outside and I think looking in. I think it's a bit of a distant fifth, honestly. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that yeah they're they're showing signs of competitiveness and maybe they go on a run here maybe they they rattle off two against Arizona and then find some wind uh, in the next few games but it just feels like it's not really there right now and that's the thing if the if and you go if you successfully get Dubois then all of a sudden the path becomes a lot clearer it's it's more towards the future and maybe you're better now but the future looks brighter um, and so now without that. I just think it's going to get to a point where if they're out of it by the trade deadline or, or they're maybe not completely out of it, but maybe like the Rangers were a few years ago where it's just this, this you know, the probabilities aren't really there. Um, <clears throat> do they go tear down? I mean, do they start shipping out some veterans? It, it just feels like we're nearing that point. Now I'm not calling it doomsday yet. There's still plenty of hockey left to be played, but this is a short season and the ducks just haven't given us enough to say, yes, they continue to go all in on this current group. Yeah, and maybe if they just played Ben Hutton, things would be better. Who knows? But. One, one. Let, let's end with this positive before we get into some questions. 
the Ducks do have a uh, a path to the playoffs. They do, and I think and I think that path to the playoffs is the fact that John Gibson is playing absolutely insane MVP caliber. Out of his mind, and with it being a shortened season of fifty six games, it can be more likely that he's able to keep this pace up for for that long. He's he's been insane, and if he gives the Ducks these types of performances on maj- the majority of nights, they're gonna be in every game and have the potential to win every game. So. I think if you're looking for a positive note as a Ducks fan, looking at this team trying to make the playoffs and wanting that to happen, John Gibson's play is the biggest positive thing that you can have going forward because he has been stellar for the Ducks so far this year. Oh, I 100% agree. He's been so good. And the fact that he is this good means that no matter how poorly they play or no matter how much it, no matter how long it's taking them to figure things out, he's going to give them a chance. He's going to be a bridge to the point, you know, where they can maybe start to have a more solidified structure. Um, outside of that, I think right now some positives to point out are that the veterans are picking up their game. And, I mean, that makes a, a huge difference, right? Because if you're not getting production from those guys, you're you're pretty much screwed, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's just no – I mean, all due respect to Nick Delorier, but if he's your leading scorer at times, that's just – it's not a winning formula. So – that's encouraging for the Ducks, I think. Yeah, 100% encouraging for the Ducks. So, question time? Yeah, let's uh, do some questions and then get on out of here. So, for those of you watching the video on YouTube, and for those of you, yes, we do are on YouTube, youtube.com slash CrashSpawn. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, helps out the show a lot. Or watching or listening on your favorite podcast services. We do this live each and every time at 8 p.m. on Sundays at twitch.tv slash CrashThePond, where you can subscribe to the show um, you can also follow the show. Following is completely free to you. It gives you a notification anytime we go live. Subscribing actually helps out the show a lot. Uh, with Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every time. You get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. And want to give another shout out to our good friend George. Uh, this is formerly known FKA as GeorgieCon, now Shoegaze Dragon Georgie. Uh, gifted out five more subs, or I think six more subs for a total of 11 gifted subs on the night so thank you so much to george for doing that uh our uh great friend bonnie literate gal uh uh gave us 1100 bits and uh wow. we also had less than three one resub for two months nem 4250 re uh, subscribed also and then also george gave us 100 bits so thank you so much for Thanks, all the support this has been a uh good show uh really a significant amount of viewers so want to give a shout out to everyone out there thank for, you for tuning in and now you get to have your voices heard for being in the twitch chat so caleb yeah. halley said question is bob murray a good gm Ooh, what, putting you on the you spot got, here why do you have to do that to me there was one before this but i wanted to start with this one this is too fun i think he's trending towards not that good yes um <laughs> and i would agree with that uh, Ginger Wolf asks, question, will we see Nick DeLaurier become a consistent point producer? Probably not, but yeah. he's doing okay in his minutes. I mean, there is a process to his game. He he has been getting chances. Like, he got another scoring chance again tonight that he could have scored on. So, I don't think he's going to become this, this point getter, but I think you could see his production continue to kind of on this uptick, certainly. Yes, I agree. He's, I mean, he had chances tonight, and I yeah, think that he gets a chance in every though, game. <laughs> yeah, and weirdly, I was trying to figure out there was that one chance, and I was trying to figure out why he didn't have one shot attempt four for that chance. And uh-huh. it's weird; it's not on at five on five, but it's there at EV. I'm, I don't was really it four understand. On four? 
it may have been four on four when that happened, or maybe at the on a penalty yeah. kill or power play. Maybe four on four. Yeah. I or no, well, if it was EV, it wouldn't have been a power play penalty kill. But regardless, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it may have been four on four, but still, weird times happening. Um, but uh, M Young said one question, one problem that I still see with the power play is we haven't scored. Yes, we should note that we haven't said that yet. The power play has not scored for the Ducks. They're the only team that has not scored a power play goal yet this season. Um, wants to know who would you guys put out there for the first unit? I think the unit they have going right now, I mean, before tonight, they were looking okay with Terry, Steele, Getzlaff, net front. I think it's Henrique with Fowler or Shattenkirk at the point. I think when they have Steele and Terry out there, I people gave me crap yesterday because I said Terry, or on Friday because I said Terry looks so good on the power play. I mean, he had one really nice setup to Ricard Raquel. I think if you have Terry, Raquel, Getzlaff out there, as much as Terry has been lackluster this year, I still think that he helps kind of just keep things moving. He's good at finding the seams, and that's important on the power play. He's also good at bringing it into the zone. So I think as long as you have Getzloff, Raquel, Terry, you could substitute uh, Terry for Steele, and you know Shattenkirk at the point, I think you're in, you're in okay shape. Yeah. Real quick, Halo Ducks chimes in with a very uh, clutch thing about Nick Delorier. That chance came on a delayed penalty. Oh, what a technicality! Yes, so big time. Technically, tec- good, yeah, good. So good that point may out. have been their that may have been the the Grant Lines yeah, one chance. We we the robbed one, them the of that shot. stat. Yeah, we're just you know we're really trying to drive a narrative here, just ignoring the facts. Yeah. So uh, that guy Bobski said, "Question: Who will be?" And we should mention this week they're going to be playing at Arizona and then two games uh, at home against St. Louis. But said, "Question: Who will be the best player in the series versus Arizona?" Ooh, great question. I think Ricard Raquel is going to continue to shine. I really think that he looks reinvigorated. He's getting opportunities. Him and Getzlaff, they're finding each other. Um, And not only that, I mean, Ricard Raquel, like I mentioned earlier, set up Hampus Lindholm um, against, was it Colorado or Minnesota? Um, Whichever one, it's all blending together. But the point is, I think he looks good. And I think against a weaker team like Arizona, we're going to see him maybe score a couple goals. So be on the lookout for him. I'm going to go with the easy answer and say John Gibson. Okay. You, have to, you, have to, you have to pick a skater. Pick a skater. Uh, a skater. Uh, Yanni Hockenpah? I'll go with Ryan Getzloff. Okay. Fair enough. Um, will the Ducks trade Adam Henrique from Nate? Um, well, so actually what's interesting is that he was not part of the package for this trade because – Columbus is on his no trade list. So um, unless maybe they asked him to waive it, who knows, but will they trade him this season? I would still say no. I think that he's one of the less tradable guys, but it's possible. Yeah. I, I don't think he gets traded this season. I think he gets traded in the off season though. Ooh, that that's my bold Expansion prediction draft. with that. Um, that guy, Bobsky asked, will Gibson win the Vezina? He should. I mean, I haven't watched the other goalies, so I don't know. But he should he should get it because it's his turn. It, he's due. We're we're doing that. We're going there. Let's go. It. Let's go, Drew Doughty style. Just just give it to yeah. him as he's due. But he actually deserves. It. I mean, his. I mean, Drew Doughty didn't deserve his Norris. Um, yeah. But he he would deserve. He would be a deserving candidate for sure. Lewis Lewis X two hundred nine with a really important question that I'm uh, obligated to answer. What should uh, he get at Del Taco in an hour? Uh, he should get a water cup and then just keep driving through the drive-thru. Just leave. <laughs> leave. Actually, no. I will say their chocolate chip cookies are weirdly good at Del Taco. 
Del Del Taco is very very good. Get their chicken soft tacos. Get some fries. Get a, a chicken or a cheese quesadilla. You know, you're good. You're good to go. Okay. Um, question from Shaken Wing. Sorry for the tangent there. Love Del Taco. Uh, who realistically may get traded from this Ducks team? Do you think anyone gets moved off this roster this year? I do think some of the veterans are on the clock. I mean, th- th- name a franchise that openly criticizes their veteran players as often as th- as this franchise yeah. does. We we didn't we didn't mention that, but Aikens called them out. Yeah, yeah, he said that you know they weren't happy about it, and they weren't good up to that point. He wasn't wrong to do that. Yeah, um, is that the way to go necessarily? Who knows? But the point is. They call them out a lot. They don't seem happy with their work at times. And um, if the Ducks are at a point where they're out of the playoffs or another opportunity comes up with a young player, who knows? Um, then, you know, maybe once Patrick Lining gets sick of John Tortorella, um, then maybe that's when that happens. So I, I don't rule it out, no. Yeah. Um, Nateas, is Talis Akins a good coach? People are just putting you on the spot. I mean, he's, he's trending towards not that good right now. I mean... I was already on this this kick last year about how, you know, with the questionable late game decisions. And I just think tactically in terms of his deployment of, of the lines, in terms of the way he's structured the power play, that the the decisions he's made in the beginning of the year, there's hasn't been a ton that you can point to with Akins and say, you know, there is your evidence that he's this great coach. Now I will say, and I will give him credit, that he um, he recognized his mistakes early on, or at least he saw the combinations weren't working and didn't wait that long to, to get things changed. So I do want to give him some credit there. Um, do I still think there's some holes in, in his style? Yes, but let's give him a little more time. You don't want to completely write him off yet. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get to two more questions here. Nate more... just throwing an AHL coach. So there you go. Just, just fire. Just fire. <laughs> love, love that. Coming in with the fire. <sighs> um, two more questions. Let's go with this one from Uvmol. Said question is Grant, Rowney, and Deloria the most dynamic fourth line in hockey? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say no. There are better fourth lines throughout the league. Um, would you like to add to that? Because I know where you're gonna go with this, so I'm gonna let you take the floor. Well, dynamic. So dynamic would mean that they can do more than one thing, and uh, I think that at best they do maybe one thing well, which is suppress shot quality. But they don't do anything else outside of that, so I'm gonna go with no. Although yeah, give, I thought you were... although give them credit because I believe it was the last Minnesota game or the first Colorado game. You know, Rowney had the, the assist. Min- yeah, yeah. the last Minnesota game, Rowney yeah. had the, both assists. Give them credit for that. I mean, they they they've held up their end of the bargain. <laughs> I thought in terms you of production. I thought you were just gonna go all all out homer and say it's uh, Lekkinen, Evans, Byron. Oh, well, I mean, I, I didn't pick them specifically, but I'm just saying that the Ducks' fourth line is not the most dynamic fourth line. Yeah, I mean, the Canadians are the deepest team in the NHL right now in, in terms of forwards. So. I, I, that, that's where I thought you were going to go with it. No, all I right. mean, they're going to so, win the North. They're they're probably going to end up in the cup final. So, all right, there you go. M. Young asking, bold prediction right there, by the way, bold prediction. Um, M. Young asking, say Lindholm, Shattenkirk, Fowler, Hockenpah, and Larson Hutton are generally going to be the five for now. Uh, who between be, uh, this is assuming, and this is a key thing that Hutton plays the left side. Cause he may play the right who between Walensky Mahura and big booming shot. Also, we haven't given a shout out to big booming shot for getting in an AHL game. You, your, your boy getting into an AHL game, uh, for preseason still hasn't gotten in the NHL. Um, who has the most potential to crack the lineup? 
in your opinion? I mean, they randomly called up Mahura the other day, which was kind of a surprise because there wasn't this obvious reason for it, as far as I'm recollecting. You were the one that pointed out to me on Friday. Yeah, they so, did. They called him up. Let so, me see if he's still up. So I think he may have gotten sent down. Yeah. Not positive. Yeah, but well, so I mean, if he were available, he would be my pick because he's look he's looked good every time he's played for the Ducks. Was that the question? Who would I pick? Yeah, Josh Maher is actually on the active roster. <laughs> yeah, he's not even on the taxi squad right now. So he was jo- Josh Maher was the the fir- the scratch tonight. The yeah, scratch. So yeah, I would say Mahura because he gives them so much more when he has the puck. Now we don't know yet about his defensive game quite as much, but I mean he's at least not just you know, it's like when Jacob Larson gets the puck and it's like a grenade on his stick. Um, at least with Mahura, he can do something with it. So that would be my choice. Yep. So yeah, I think that's gonna do it for questions for the night. I think we may have gotten an email, but we'll save that for next week. Uh, sorry, Ken, if that was you that sent that. We'll get to that next week. We're we're running a little bit long right now. We are running long, and uh, we're we're trying to keep it keep it a little tighter, just a bit, just a bit. You know, I know that everybody loves two hours, but trying to trying to trim that a little bit. So, is there anything else that you wanted to point out, Jake? I want to give you the floor before we start wrapping up here. I feel like you're putting me on the spot for something very specific, and no. I don't know what it is. Actually, and no. That, Actually, that, that's oh, there good. is something you should point out that maybe you haven't already. Some, what? Something that you're wearing right now. Oh, well, yeah, that was going to be part of the plugs. Well, you know? well uh, get into it. We we have merch. You can find it at crashthepawn.com uh, slash shop, and we have shirts and we have sweatshirts, and you can see here I am currently rocking the eggplant logo uh, black shirt. It, this is a large. It looks good. And so it, it, it fits true to size. Um, they they are very nice. I am very, very actually happy. I was a little bit nervous with how the shirt quality is. I'm a little bit of a snob for how my shirts fit, how they feel. These are very top-notch quality. I'm very, very happy with it. And you can see the logos there. I'll, I'll stand up and turn around, you know, do a little model for everyone. You can see the back also. It has the logo in Oh, let's in see this. Oh, oh, almost uh there we go this is great logo and big for everyone this is great for the audio only people oh sorry audio only. look at that it looks great yeah so came out great yours is uh sitting on a chair right by me right now felix yeah you're holding it hostage in long beach (laughs) forcing me to drive hours in the cold uh so yeah so go to crashthepond.com slash slash shop there are t-shirts there's the orange logo on a couple different things there is uh the sweatshirt if there's any other type of merchandise that you would like let us know we can see if we can get it done get it made and get it up on the site um i know one of our discord members uh wants uh decals sadly the the service that we're using does not have decals so um won't be there Sorry about that. We'll we'll see if we can find that in some other way. Hey, I'm working on it. So. Little little testimonial going on here in our Twitch chat. Ginger Wolf saying, "Love mine, so comfy." There you go. Also, put it. He put it out on Twitter today. So if you want to go to his Twitter account and yeah. see it, he looked looking good in it. Looking good in it. Yeah, seriously. So and, and we also had Nick Pappas, good friend of the show, tweeted out. So thank you to everyone. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to get mine because. Uh, I mean, you could have just chipped it to me, but you know, neither here nor there. I'll I'll, I'll have to make the trek up to to your area. I don't want to give away Are, where you live. I may already have, you, but you just said it. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Uh. <laughs> okay. I don't well, care. Let's uh, let's get the heck. Oh, people want hats. Nobody wants duffel that- bags. <laughs> duffel bags would be nice. Um, hats. The only issue is the, there are some issues with the the place that we're using for for hats with the logo and things like that. So. I'm working on hats that may be have, have to be through something else. And maybe what we end up doing is we look at, cause I love hats like the one I'm wearing now with kind of the patch. I'm going to see if maybe we can get something made with it like that on it and see if maybe we can include it as maybe like a Patreon perk or something like that. So we'll see how that goes. See if maybe that's how it works out. Yep. So let's get out of here. But speaking of Patreon, if you are looking to support this show, I highly recommend that you check out our Patreon page. Um, and I think that, so a couple things there. So you have two ways of supporting us. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. So for a dollar pledge a month, you get access to our discord chat patrons only, which man, it is just the best. I mean, we have, it's my favorite. It's my favorite place to talk hockey. It, I, I say this every time now, but it's so true. It's true. I just hop in there and it's just, everyone's in there trying to have a good time. Some people are obviously going to be team tank. Some people want the team to win, but it's everyone just having a good time making jokes. Yeah. Just enjoying the game, talking with, with people that are in similar mindset. Yeah. It's a very wholesome place. You know, it's not like there's no trolling. It's not like any, it's not like Twitter where things can really, I mean, just divulge. I mean, you're, you're or sorry, devolve. Um, so highly recommend that that's for a dollar a month. Now for $5 a month, you also get access to two bonus episodes. And so um, that's episodes where maybe we go more in depth on the team on particular topics there, or we go more league wide. We've done rankings in the past ranking, um, you know, who we think should win specific awards or, you know, we look at different things like that. If you enjoy the banter of the show a bit, you know, you're kind of more into the, that aspect. There is a bit more of that on the, on the, on the, um, on the bonus shows. It's a bit more unfiltered. You know, we, we gave we, our, uh, our last episode was our unfiltered ducks season preview. So uh, I think was, that kind of says it all. It was, it was the least polished episode I think we've ever done, but it was the most off the cuff, really how we felt everything behind it that we've ever done also. Yeah, we were, uh, we kind of went off. There was a lot to talk about there. I think that's when they'd had just announced Trevor Zegers was getting sent down. So, um, you know. It was that, fun. It was that, fun. I that, enjoyed it. That drew some ire. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. We are introducing a new perk, which I believe we're going to test run again this week. You want to talk about that yes. a little bit? Yes. So do we want to decide right now, Tuesday or Thursday? Your pick. Uh, let's go Tuesday. So we're actually doing a companion, you know, broadcast to, if you're watching the game, you know, we're going to be streaming it as well. Not streaming the actual game, but streaming our commentary watch along style so essentially maybe if you're not quite as enjoying the play-by-play or maybe you just want some something different you want to hear how we react during the game see what we're looking for we're actually going to be broadcasting that so you can watch along with us we sync up the time so that you know where we're at and um, the first one that we did was a, a big success now you do have to be a patron but you can be a patron at any level I believe um, it, because this month is a bit more of a test run and so, but so we'll be providing the link in there for you to join and um, watch the game with us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. It is. And I think 
we got some feedback. I'm going to incorporate some of it into what we have on the screen to make it a little bit easier to sync up with us. I think I'm going to have the probably the the score and game time up so you can at least sync up with kind of where we're at to make life a little bit easier. But yes, there there will be an additional tier next month on Patreon for this. So if you've enjoyed this, we'll we'll announce it probably a little bit more during the actual watch along. So if you want to tune in, get it just for your normal dollar or five dollar tier. You uh you can do that for this upcoming week on Tuesday is when we're gonna do that. Um, it is a live stream. The video also does stay up. So that link, even if you are not able to catch it live and you go back and watch the game at a later date, you can uh, sync up with yeah. us and watch it then also with it. I, I really do enjoy those. They're a lot of fun. Um, and so I'm excited to, to keep that going. And, and we also have another Patreon episode that will be coming this week. Yeah. Gotta get the second one in, Felix. Oh boy, it's gonna be a week. It's gonna be a week, but it's gonna be fun. Um <laughs> Okay, a few more ways that you can support us here. Um, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Just search for Crash the Pond, um, or you can even search for Anaheim Ducks, and we'll pop up there. Um, if you want to go further, make sure you subscribe, and you can also leave us some feedback. Um, so you can hit the stars and leave a review. It just takes a couple minutes, but it honestly goes such a long way. We really appreciate hearing from you guys, and we actually got a new review last week that just went up right after we recorded. So I do want to give a shout out here to Sean Salisbury, who left us a review with the title, five-star review, by the way, not a big deal, uh, Balanced and Precise, listener since the seventeen eighteen season, which, by the way, huge shout out. because Was that, was that our first season? That was our first season. And uh, man, that season compared to now, if you look at just like the tech, the way we do it, Things have evolved a bit. Let's just say we both have actual microphones instead of using. Uh, I think I had Skull Candy earbuds that had a <laughs> microphone. Skull Candy earbuds as what I was recording on. Oh, I totally and, forgot uh, about the that. Mix, the mix, the days. Oh yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. but that was that's where it all started. We were going every game, just putting in the hours. But so anyway, to finish up the review, these guys know their stuff and always give an accurate picture on Ducks hockey. Most detailed Ducks analysis in existence. Cheers. Oh my God. That is just, man, I, uh, that's, that's a big honor to hear that because, uh, we, that's what we try to do, right? Give you the most accurate picture possible, include all the possible, you know, views, our view, what the coaches may be thinking and the organization's thinking players. So appreciate that big time. Um, but of course, you know, if you, um, are not on Apple podcast, make sure to check us out on Spotify. Uh, we are on there. We're on all of your favorite podcasting platforms we are on youtube as jake already mentioned um so that's youtube.com slash crash the pond jake posts the video version of the pod there after we record every sunday night monday morning um subscribe there and turn on your notifications so that you know when our shows go up big shout out to everybody there who's been leaving comments um and then just a couple more things here um check us check the website out crashthepond.com. that's at crash the pond on twitter and on facebook Check Jake out on on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I am on Twitter as well at Felix underscore Sicard. So that's going to do couple, it here, Jake. Cu- couple more things to plug real, real quick. Weekly ratings coming out tomorrow, like I said. So keep an eye at, on CrashThePawn.com. They'll be going up tomorrow, I think like at 6 or 7 a.m. is when I'll, when I'll schedule it for. Other, one other thing, obviously, you're over at the fourth period putting your articles out over there also. And, uh... I've started a, a new little show with uh, in our Twitch as the Frostback with Tyler Tunnell doing some DFS talk on yeah. Saturdays. I think 1 p.m. is what we're looking hey, at right I, now. I watched. At Fantasy Focused. It was great. I highly recommend Thank you. it. If you want to win. Thank you. If you want to win money. 
Get the yeah, money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so good times. So go check that out. Okay. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening this week. Um, hope everybody's season with the Ducks is uh, as enjoyable as possible. And we will talk to you at the next show. Have a great week. Bye.